Attention. Attention, listeners. Hi there. Uh, this is Adam Venrick for the Coffee Hour, brought to you every Thursday by the Doobie Streaming Service, coming to you live from Denison University in Granville, Ohio. Uh, it's a beautiful morning, actually. Very cold, but there's snow on the ground, and uh, the sky is a hazy shade of winter, even though it's November. Little shout-out to Simon and Garfunkel there. Um, now, our more dedicated listeners, because we have a, a quite a special show this week, um, our more dedicated listeners will remember a few weeks ago for Halloween, we did a... Um, well, frankly, I had the pleasure of presenting a show comprised of four short radio plays based on the writings of American short story master Edgar Allan Poe. The show was fortunately well received, and as such, in order to give uh, in order to give some much needed variety to the coffee hour to this program that I love so dearly, uh, we will be every so often providing you with uh, different forms of entertainment from our usual interview structure. Now, one that I'm particularly excited about as an actor and as a disciple of the late great Orson Welles is the radio play. This week in our search to provide you with more quality entertainment, we are going to present to you uh, an original radio play written by and, uh, well, frankly, due to some tight uh, <laughs> production scheduling, uh, starring, thank you very much, myself, Adam Venrick. The play is appropriately enough titled A List of Things I Know and should be seen as a start to a new kind of entertainment, here for the coffee hour at least. So please relax, have a lovely morning, and enjoy this original production of our original show, A List of Things I Know. <clears throat> a List of Things I Know. This is a list of things that I know. I keep this list as a sort of reminder. I'm writing it at the suggestion of my therapist, Dr. Selma Cartwright. She believes that if I do this every night before I go to bed... It will help me to A, stay grounded, and B, go to sleep easier. Some nights I can barely sleep a wink, I get myself into such a stir. So, here are some things I know. I am an 18-year-old high school senior. My favorite subject is English. My least favorite subject is calculus. Uh, I, have, I have only voted once uh, in a local election. I don't have a favorite color because favorite colors are for children. It's green, but that's not the point. And lastly, uh, I'm fairly certain that my dog has an infection, but that's not something I know. That's just a, a suspicion I have. Here's something else I know. I have not seen my father in over a year. I asked my mother about it the other day, and she told me the same thing she's been telling me for the last 14 months. I know you miss him. We all miss him. But he can't come home yet because, well, he's in a North Korean jail. And it's very, very hard to get out of those. I suppose it must be. I've never been in one. But I'd, I'd sure like to know why my father went to North Korea on business, of course. Oh, well. Some things you never get an answer on. 
but I, I'd like to see him again one day, you know, because I keep a picture of him by my bed for safekeeping, and my sister will come in sometimes and say, that's not Dad, you idiot, that's Uncle Ted. And I say, I know. But in a much truer sense, I don't know, because I'm not great with faces, and it's hard because they're brothers, and she says, Uncle Ted is adopted. I don't know. I don't know what to make of all this information. This morning, I went downstairs and found my mother having a fierce argument with the toaster. I said to her, What are you doing, Mom? She says back, I have reason to believe that the people keeping your father have planted a camera in our toaster, and I am trying to reason with them. I said to her, Mom, why do you think this? And she shrugged. I said, Aren't you going to be late for work? And she grumbles back that she'll be fine because she's going to do her makeup while driving. My sister, Janice, came into the kitchen and said to me, Leave Mom alone. Can't you see she's trying to negotiate? She was right, of course. I was being disrespectful. Janice, said my mother, ask your brother to drive you to school today, please and thank you. And then she turned to me and said, And when she asks you, please do it. That said, my mother went back to arguing softly with the toaster while my sister and I went about preparing our breakfast, which consisted of us splitting the remaining pieces of a homemade apple pie and some coffee. In the car, my sister said to me, I am worried about her, you know. I hate seeing her this way. I mean, for a while, I thought she was going to be fine. She kept herself together for the first few months after Dad left or got kidnapped by the North Korean government. Yes, I agreed. I also think she did a good job for the first few months. Negotiating with the North Korean government to have a spouse released can be stressful. I know, said Janice, and so I don't always like to talk about it in front of her. That's fair, I said, but also don't you think if we normalize talking about North Korea, it might convince her to go talk to a professional diplomat even for just an hour a week sometimes said janice i feel like i could use a professional diplomat how's your diplomat working out for you my diplomat dr selma cartwright was working out fine for me or at least i didn't really have anything to complain about she's fine i said she's having me make these lists things that i know to be true you know, to tether me to reality. Do you need that? Janice asked. I shrugged, and she said, Well, okay. Tell me this, though. What's one thing you know for a fact to be true, then? I know, I said, that my house is on Rumford Street. I know that I'm 18 years old, and I know my favorite color is green. She thought for a moment and said, Isn't it a little childish to have a favorite color? We spent most of the rest of the drive in utter silence, but for the sound of the radio. It was April Fool's Day, so they had announced that they would be playing We Built This City on a 24-hour loop. Here's another thing I know. My first period class was called Theories of Theories, and it was taught by a man named Mr. Haydn, spelled and pronounced like the musician. Mr. Hyden had recently won the Ohio Lottery Mega Millions jackpot, and as such, he had decided that it would be good in his last year as a teacher before he retired and moved to the Bahamas, where he would spend the rest of his days making models of model ships to create a specialty class. 
He had developed the class, you see, as a, a kind of special elective for seniors to take, and so far in the first three quarters of the school year, that had consisted of him expanding rapidly on the idea that students should teach the teachers. Mr. Hyden never actually lectured on anything. He never really taught us, per se. You know, technically it was registered as a chemistry class, but we had never once used a beaker or talked about atoms. Rather, every single day Mr. Hyden would come in and proudly write his name on the board, introducing himself as, it w as if it was the very first day of class. And then, then he would turn to us, and he would write a random word on the board. Words like dog, egg, cornucopia, the war of the roses. And then he would turn to the class expectantly and say, What do you know about this? What do you believe to be true? Somebody come up and teach us something. And then, one by one, we would stand and go to the board and present wild and often unfounded things about these topics. There was no set length for one of these presentations either. Uh, rather, one would go until Mr. Hyden, in his own particular way, would let out a yawn and say, Okay, thank you. Yeah, great work. Very interesting. Okay, who wants, who wants to jump in on that? And on and on this would go, and because of this, one might suspect that Mr. Hyden's class was a blow-off class, something in which, while one didn't learn anything, one could have a good time and be assured an easy A. And in this, you would be mistaken, my friends. You see, this morning, for instance, Mr. Hyden was in the process of returning tests to us, and, well... As he did so, he clucked his tongue and said, I just don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know. Is there something I've done wrong? Have I compromised your learning abilities, my children? Or do you just respect me because you're jealous of how wealthy I've become? You see, Mr. Hyden still fancied himself a science teacher, even if in all other regards he had let his profession slip. The tests that Mr. Hyden would ass assign every so often, and always without warning, would invariably be on fairly advanced topics of organic chemistry, and we would be expected to know them. The one merciful thing was that he had decided long ago that they would be multiple-choice tests, so at least one had a small chance of getting one question right. Mr. Hyden slumped in his chair and sighed. I just don't know. For extra credit, come up to the board and try and explain to the class why your dear, poor Mr. Hyden is upset. And when I say poor Mr. Hyden, I mean fabulously wealthy but very stressed Mr. Hyden. Someone please do that. There was a silence for a moment. And then Toby Ishman, a plump, unassuming kid who rarely spoke, stood up and went to the center of the room. He cleared his throat and looked at us. <clears throat> Mr. Hyden is mad because we did poorly on his test. He's here providing us a rare opportunity to learn, and we're squandering it. Shame on all of us. Mr. Hyden cleared his throat and stood, looking at Toby with appreciation. That's very good, Toby, he said. You all should be very ashamed. And for you, Toby, your bonus is... 
Minus five points. Sycophancy never pays, my children. Take a, a lesson for the day. Sycophancy never pays, but the lottery does. At around the time that Mr. Hyden was denouncing my senior class as a group of useless slackers, my sister Janice was meeting with our principal, Mrs. Saltbourne, about an incident that had taken place during the last meeting of the Environmental Society. Janice, you see, was a junior at this point, and trying to cram as many things as possible onto her extracurricular resume for colleges. Last year, in a fit of what I think was exceptional peak, Janice had successfully petitioned to start the Morganville High School Junior Anti-Environmentalist Club. The club had drawn some favorable attention from local businesses for its you-can-do-whatever-you-want policy towards littering and waste dumping, but had recently come to be in some hot water with the school after encouraging restaurants to dump their grease dumpsters into local ponds, which had, incidentally, produced some very hot water. Janice told me later that Mrs. Saltborn pulled her aside and said, You know, honey, I've always been one to take a joke. The Morganville High Amateur Phrenology Society? Oh, you better believe that's a scream. The Cyberbullying Club? So, so creative. But this, this is just not funny. There was a full-scale grease fire on Manson's Pond. Manson's Pond, it's worth noting, was named after one of our town's founders, John P. Manson, and not Charles Manson. The town has tried to change the name uh, many times, but always to no avail. The fish, okay, they are fish sticks now. Okay, I want to know, Janice, how can you account for yourself with this? My sister said to Mrs. Saltborn, <clears throat> Well, ma'am, you see, everything's just been so difficult for me this year, what with my father going out to buy a pack of smokes and then getting kidnapped and imprisoned by the North Korean government. Yes, I know, said Mrs. Saltborn. It's a terribly sad story, and of course, we, we think you and your brother are doing such a good job adjusting. You're so brave, because it's always so hard when a parent leaves and then gets kidnapped by a foreign nation. But that's no excuse. You will need to be better, so I know you're concerned about getting into a college, Jenna said. My mother says she wants me to simultaneously attend both Harvard and Stanford. As well you should, said Mrs. Saltborn. So let's go ahead, yeah, and pick out another club for you to join that hopefully won't be so darn destructive. In the end, my sister chose the People for the Ethical Defense of Cephalopods Society. Here's some more things I know. I don't have a favorite food. I don't have a favorite animal. I do have a dream vacation spot, and that is Reykjavik, Iceland. That day, I know this too, in English class, we discussed the Iliad. Specifically, Mrs. Kovacs wanted us to discuss the role of Helen of Troy in the story. So, she said, What do we know about Helen of Troy? We know she was famous, okay? Beautiful, yeah. 
She might even be called the MacGuffin of the story. All these people fighting over her like crack ka And in the end, she returns to Athens with her beloved. Helen was beloved by so many men. And some of them decided they had to try and kidnap her. Because in those days, people didn't have Tinder. She waited for one of us to laugh, and no one did. Okay, she said, get it because she wasn't on Tinder, like the dating app. No one laughed, and so Mrs. Kovacs went on. Okay, let's forget that for a minute. So, we have our main characters, our male characters, our main male characters. Achilles, Hector, Agamemnon, and none of them were on Tinder either. (laughs) She waited for more response, and then, seeing that it was not to be hers, she sighed and said, get it? Tinder. Tinder. Let's move on. Listen, here are some real things I know. I was born in 1999 to some very good, very sweet, very kind, if a little scattered parents who loved me very much. And I know that to be a fact. Before he went to North Korea and, and got imprisoned, my father was really nothing special. He worked in an office. He had an R&D job. He majored in communications and economics at OSU, and I have absolutely no idea what his favorite color was. He and my mother dated for a few years, and then he married her. And she often said he married her when he knew she was the woman he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. And he didn't, of course, but... They were together for a while and had lived in Morganville for years, having moved there from Columbus when my mother got pregnant with me. My mother was happy once. She majored in creative writing and wrote, prior to my father leaving, uh, in addition to working a full-time job, by the way, um, as an editor at the local paper, she had written uh, a weekly column so here, here's one of my favorites from that. Her column was called Ask Justine, and it was a very poorly founded advice column, often uh, involving me and my sister. Here's one. Hi, Justine. I'm a kid in high school. In fact, I know your son and daughter. I'm trying to get by, managing sports and classes and a job. What I really want... What I really, really want is to be a documentary filmmaker, but I haven't told anyone in my family yet. My family doesn't really like documentaries or film or much of anything. My parents are going through a divorce and, well, it's difficult because there's a lot of shouting that goes on. I don't know. I try and I try, but I can't concentrate on anything. I'm slumping on the tennis team. My grades have all gone down. Some nights I don't sleep and my back hurts. I don't know what I should do. Sincerely, very troubled. My mother wrote back and said, since you know my son, I don't mind telling you that he's been in therapy for a year now and he's really liking it. His doctor's name is Dr. Selma Cartwright, and she's really helped him. I would suggest looking her up. 
In terms of everything else, I have every confidence in your ability to become a documentary filmmaker. You'll do great. Best. Justine. I never found out who that kid was. But... It's important you know that my mother's name was Justine, by the way. You know, I feel like that's something that could go through the cracks if you're not observant, so. But that's who my mother was. You know, that's who she is. She had no qualms about publishing something like that. She never even once asked me, and I never understood why, but my mother seemed to make me into this consummate idea of a good example. No matter how much she could drag me up in her column, I always let her because the truth of the matter was I took it to mean that she loved me. That she thought I was doing well enough to be a consummate good example. She never brought up Janice in the column. Not after Janice was about 14. That was the first time my sister ever shoplifted. She stole a tube of really royal ruby red lipstick from a bath and body store to wear to her first homecoming. She went with Dave Smalden, a guy who we'd known since kindergarten and who had acne scars and two left feet. I, I mean that literally. Dave had two feet that were both bent to the left, which made dancing quite impossible. At the end of the night, Janice confided in Dave that she had stolen the lipstick that she had worn that night. All her life, Janice had never worn lipstick. It seemed weird that she would start even for a school dance, but she told Dave, and Dave told his mother, who got real concerned and told our mother, and my mother didn't get mad. Okay, she didn't punish Janice. Instead, she wrote one last column. And it was about the horror of children who shoplift. She called it a national epidemic, and then... She never wrote about Janice again. Here's something I know. My sister never gave Dave Smalden and his two left feet the time of day again. I ate lunch with some friends, John and Mike and Christy, who I had gone out with at one point for a hot second. Christy was planning on becoming a writer. She had applied early decision and had gotten accepted. Nowadays, college was the only thing she talked about. I watched my sister eating lunch with her friends, her English textbook, and her French textbook. My sister was a lone wolf. That was something I had always admired about her. Christy snapped her fingers. Are you listening? She asked me. I looked back at her. What? I said. She sighed. You weren't listening, were you? John was just saying he's worried about his dad. Why are you worried about your dad, John? Because, said John... I think there might be something really wrong with his lungs. He's had this really bad cough lately, and he just can't shake it, and he's been a smoker for years. Is he coughing up blood, Mike asked. John shook his head and said, No, but he's in a lot of pain. I'm really, really worried about him. He's going to the doctor today. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really worried about it. I hope everything's okay, said Christy. My dad's a complete and utter hypochondriac. He'd go to the ER for a splinter. He'd say, come on now, you know, it's just waiting to get infected. Here's something I know for a fact. Something is wrong with John's dad. And I don't know what it is, of course, but what I do know is that right as we were there talking, 
that man was probably sitting, waiting in the doctor's office for his name to be called. And I always thought that maybe that was the worst thing about going to the doctors, even if you knew that nothing was wrong with you. It's not being poked, prodded. It's not... It's all the ideas. That's what it is. It's all the ideas that form while you're being made to sit and wait. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're dying. Maybe... Maybe you and your doctor will be making small talk as he performs the exam and suddenly he will stop. And you'll look over and see that he has that certain look on his face. That look that means you may have AIDS or cancer or that your teeth are about to turn purple. Maybe. Maybe is the worst part, really. That maybe. And something else I know for a fact is that right at that moment... John's mom, and she's real religious, so right now, John's mom was probably sitting at work, holding on to the cross that she wore around her neck for dear, dear life, because she knows what we all know, that at any minute, life might change, and now it might be her turn to carry a cross or two, and maybe, for the first time in a while, as she holds on to that cross, she's wondering if there's really anyone up there to hear her. But these are all maybe questions. Let's go back to certainties. What I can tell you is that after school that day, I had to go to work. I work as a, a cashier at a local bookstore, and this particular afternoon, we were dealing with a spectacular loss, as my manager Carter explained to me. Jeff, he said, Jeff being our night manager, was killed last night. Isn't that terrible? Crushed under a fallen bookshelf. Oh my gosh, I said. How did that happen? Oh, said Carter, well... I mean, by all accounts, you know, in the security camera footage, he was attempting to rob us, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, his family's coming in today to say goodbyes and, you know, clean everything up. And so there's a lot of fraudulent logs that Jeff made while he was working for us to hide some embezzlement that we'd rather they not see. And we're okay with that, I asked. Well, we can't do anything about it now, said Carter. And there's no reason his family should know. I'm going to go through them later and find out how much he took. And then I'm going to go to his apartment and take some copper wiring to set us even. Carter slapped my back. It's all going to be good, my friend. Here's something I know for sure. It's not going to be good for us. It's probably not going to be good for Carter. To look at him, you'd think that Carter was a college RA that moonlighted singing in a barbershop quintet. You would never know he had priors. But it was going to be okay for Jeff, the embezzling, thieving night manager whose family would never know the kind of man that he really was. I mean, it wasn't going to be okay in the sense of, you know, he's dead. But he would be okay in the long run because really in the end, reputation is so valuable. It's so valuable. As I led his sobbing mother through the bookshelves, she picked up a copy of Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground and said, This was one of his favorite books as a baby. I used to read it to him every night before he went to sleep, and I thought to myself, no wonder that man had so many problems. When I got home that night, I found my mother had gotten it together well enough to make dinner, and that she and Janice were now sitting at the dinner table, "'There's some tacos left for you,' she said to me. "'Or did you eat at the bookstore?' I said. 
She shrugged. How was work today, Mom? It was fine. She said, I got a phone call from the school. Apparently, Mr. Hyden, your theory of theories teacher, has had some concerns about the class not being able to pass. Please tell me you did well on that last test. I shook my head. Why not, she asked. I sighed. Because Mr. Hyden is a maniac who doesn't teach us anything, Mother. Now please pass the fruit salad. She passed me the fruit salad. And Janice, my mother said. Mrs. Saltborn called. She told me that the anti-environmentalist society has been permanently disbanded. She sighed. What were you thinking, honey? Do you even know? Thinking about what? Asked my sister. Well, honey, said my mother... I'd just like to know what you were thinking about when you set that pond on fire. I mean, were you even aware that you were doing it? You want to know what I was thinking, Mother? Janice said. I was thinking about how my mother is too blind to admit that her husband is gone. He's in a North Korean prison, my mother said. It's a very delicate situation now, Janice, and I've asked you time and again to be respectful. He can't write us or call because he's in prison, but I know he's thinking about us. I was thinking about how my mother talks to the toaster, said Janice. My mother wiped her mouth. Go to your room, she said, and don't let me see you out for the rest of the night, young lady. Now, are we clear or are we clear? Janice stood. We're clear, she said. Janice walked off and turned to me. At least you're well-adjusted, said my mother. Thank goodness. You know, I said, you don't have to pick fights with her, Mom. I know, she said, and she doesn't have to pick fights with me. She looked out the window. The sun was only now beginning to set. It's still light out, she said. I'm going to go water the flowers. They, they need to be in tip-top shape for the weekend if we're going to win the Morganville Best Lawn Competition. The Best Lawn Competition was a contest that the town of Morganville has had every year to see who in the neighborhood has kept the best flowers and grass. Mom, I said, you hate that stuff. Well, I know, she said. I, I know. It's just... Look, it's been a long day at work, and I like keeping a nice-looking garden. What's wrong with tulips? And what's wrong with the cash prize they give you if you win? That's what I'd really like to know. Besides, when the CIA gets your father home, he'll want to see a nice-looking flower garden. And what if he doesn't come home, I asked. And she smiled. She smiled almost defiantly and said... He will. He'll be back any day now, and you know that. Why don't you come and help me? Because I have homework to do, I said. I could see if Janice could help you. Your sister doesn't understand gardening, she said. And it was at that moment that Janice returned to the dining room. Gee, thanks, she said. I'm sorry, said my mother. I thought you'd been excused. Did I miss something? I needed my phone, said my sister. And I'd be more than happy to help you garden, mother, because I finished my homework. Well, she said. You've been ugly to me all evening, so I'm not sure I want you to. Well, said my sister, then I'm quite sorry, mother. But he is right, you know. Dad isn't coming back. My mother stood. Nice. 
So I slave away at dinner, and I get talked down to by my own children after I had a terrible day at work, and a terrible day hearing from the school, and a terrible day waiting for someone to tell me something, something about your father. I'll tell you something, something about my father, said Janice. He and his girlfriend are four months pregnant. My mother looked at her for a moment, and then went into the other room, and pushed the toaster onto the ground. Then she walked outside, slamming the door as she went. Here's something I know. About a year ago, my father went out for a pack of cigarettes, just like the old story goes. And while he was at the store, he met a yoga instructor named Amy, whom he said made him feel more alive than he'd felt in years. And after he'd said this to my mother, he'd packed a suitcase and left the house. My father had nothing to do with the CIA or North Korean prisons. What he knew was how to love, but not very well. And my mother had adjusted pretty well. She kept her cool, met with a divorce lawyer, and worked hard to keep us affording the house. Then, on my father's Facebook there appeared one day a picture of my father and his new girlfriend, Amy, and next to that was a picture of an ultrasound. That was the day my mother decided my father had been kidnapped and placed in a North Korean prison. It started out as a joke, and then it stopped being a joke. Here's something I know. My father is never getting out of North Korean prison. You didn't have to do that, I said to Janice. Well, someone had to, she said. And I realized she was right. I went outside then and found my mother, spraying the petunias and the lilies with the hose. And I could tell she was crying, and as I approached, she yelled for me to go away. Then she turned the hose off and slumped down in the yard. She looked at my sister, who had followed me out. Why did you have to say all those things? She said. Why did you have to hurt me, Janice? I have a question said Janice, of my own, for you, mother. When you wrote your little column, Ask Justine, you wrote about him all the time, she said, pointing to me, but you stopped writing about me. I wrote about you all the time, my mother said. When I was happy, when I was sad, when I was lonely and gassy. Stop! said my sister. You never wrote about me after I stole that lipstick. You stopped. And I just want to know why. Were you really that mad? Were you ashamed? What was it? My mother thought, why did you do it, Janice? Why did you steal a tube of lipstick? You've never stolen anything before in your life. Why did you start then? Because, my sister said, and then thought. Because I wanted to look pretty. That's all. That and... I wanted to... To do something bad. Because I never had before. And I, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. My mother looked at her and nodded. I did stop writing about you. But that wasn't why... It was because, I don't know, because I knew you didn't like it. You never thanked me for it. I never liked it, I said. 
I never liked you printing my psychologist's name, or my weight, or whether or not you thought I was happy or healthy. Not everything needs to be publicized. You never even used your own life, mother. You just used ours. My mother sighed and then stood. Do they know if it's a boy or a girl yet? A boy, said my sister, and my mother nodded. A boy. How nice. The cycle really repeats itself, doesn't it? She smiled at me and then walked inside. That night, we had a burial for our toaster, which I thought was maybe a little odd, but it seemed to help my mother. That night, she burned a few of her old clippings and scattered them into the wind. And as she did so, rather than crying or yelling, she said, I used to want to write about food. Food is... I wanted to write about food. I could have pictured her doing that. Then, she picked a few of the lilies and put them in the kitchen. Here's something I know. I know that we will not be eating toast anytime soon. I know that my father and his girlfriend Amy will have that baby together, and they'll name it something that's probably pretty close to my name. I know that my father will love that baby, even though it doesn't have his eyes. And I know my adopted uncle will go and see it, and I know that tomorrow... My friend John will know more about his own father than he ever wanted to. And that Carter may well be in jail. And I know that my father will promise Amy and that baby that they are the people he wants to spend the rest of his life with. And I know that one day he'll go out craving a pack of cigarettes and be made to make a choice. And I know that Mr. Hyden will give us a lecture, and the Anti-Environmentalist Club will never hold another meeting. And I know that Dr. Selma Cartwright will read this list and be surprised, and maybe even horrified to know that her name was in my mother's newspaper column. I know that my favorite color is green, even though I won't like to admit that I have a favorite color at this age. And I know that when my mother and my sister and I have breakfast, there will be a terrible awkwardness to it. I know I'll feel alone in my own home. And over time, I won't. And I know my mother will not bring up North Korean prisons again unless it's on the news. And I don't know if she'll win that gardening contest. I know that she'll apologize to us in the sobering light of day. And then she'll go off to work and be forced to pretend that everything is all right and that nothing has happened and that nothing has changed. She's already come in to apologize tonight, and I said, I forgive you, and I love you, because I know that those are true, and I know that after the baby is born, she'll call my father and congratulate him and give him words of confidence that she can't possibly mean. And when she cried into me, I knew those tears were real and genuine, and I know my sister will not wear lipstick, and as long as those two things are true, that's good enough foundation to start with. I know that tomorrow I'll wake up with a question. I may well toss and turn tonight unsatisfied and sleepless. I know I may never know the answer. But I don't know that for sure. That play was entitled 
a list of things I know. It was written, produced, and performed by me, Adam Venrick. Uh, this is the first time I've ever produced it or performed it. Uh, I feel like something I should have tacked on at the beginning. It's fictional, uh, wholly fictional. Um, so all people, places, events, things are not meant to be taken as real people. I, there is no Mr. Hyden. There is no theory of theories. There was no bookstore robbery or toaster funeral. Um, it's been an honor, actually, to present that play. I feel weird giving an afterword about it, but I feel like that might kind of be necessary, given that this probably wasn't what anyone expected to listen to this morning. Um, but I, I thank you if you did listen to it, and if you'd like to hear more uh, content like this, um, this was really our test run of it. Please uh, give me a note uh, on the Coffee Hours Facebook page. Um, next week, we will hopefully have the answer to the trivia asked last week. And uh, I'd like to thank you very much, Doobie listeners, for your time. And this is Adam Venrick signing off. <laughs>